Hello and welcome to another episode of Des and Marco. I'm Marco. And I'm Des. So, Marco, remember how a couple of weeks ago you introduced the episode as mostly listened to by females? Yeah, our stats used to say that I think it was like 60 or 65% of our listeners were female. This is a phenomenon which is true in real life as it is in the digital world. But as soon as Marco says things like this, the ratio is now 50-50. So basically, girls have stopped listening. (laughs) Please come back. But we got a a ton more listeners that happen to be male. Indeed. I'd like to crack straight in because I'm super thirsty. And as you guys should know by now, we always start with our beers of the week. So, Marco, what have you picked? You're going to insult me, but there's a reason for this. The brewery is called Vandestrik, or Vandestrik. It's here from the Netherlands. And the beer is called Playground. You call that a beer, but it's non-alcoholic? I didn't tell you it was non-alcoholic yet. But I can see the label. (laughs) Yeah, so it's non-alcoholic. Reason being, I had a pretty difficult weekend. (laughs) I could really use a break from drinking. This is up for debate. Is a non-alcoholic a beer a beer? Oh, you sounded really Italian. Is a non-alcoholic a beer a beer? (laughs) Oh, whatevs. We need to ask people if they think it's a beer or not and to let us know if it's okay to continue. So you've set the precedent. We'll see if the people accept this or not. Okay, but then we need to set rules. Like, what if I'm trying to detox a little bit? What do I drink? (laughs) What if I have a problem? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What if it's like a medical condition? But never mind. What did you pick? I went for a beer from a country we haven't reviewed before. From France. Ah, la France. Yes, indeed. So it's called La Goudal, I think. And it's from the northern regions of France. And I'll talk more about it later. But it's basically a typical blonde beer. Well then, Santé. Santé. Tastes like it's missing something. Let's begin, like every other episode, with the news. So you know I'm a huge, huge fan of uh, The Last of Us, and I'm really, really hyped about the upcoming HBO series. Yes. A little bit more information came out. IGN interviewed Neil Druckmann, so he's one of the producers of the series, as well as one of the, I believe, producers of the game. By the way, like little silly fact, I really get frustrated with IGN as a website because now they opened the Benelux subsidiary. And so every link I open, it takes me to their Dutch page. And it's all in Dutch. And it's all in Dutch. And I don't speak a word of Dutch. And it's really frustrating because I really don't know how to go back to the English one. Like, even if the tweet is in English, it automatically routes me to the to the Dutch one. Uh, maybe you should use like a VPN or something. Yeah, I should. Not until we're sponsored by Surfshark. Exactly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this would be the perfect segue if we were sponsored, but we're not. Hint, hint. Yeah, exactly. We're available. But... Anyway, just don't write to us in Dutch because we don't understand that. So he had an interview and basically he was kind of giving a couple of hints over the series. As we know, they've already picked the two main actors. And one of the things that Neil Druckmann said was that season one will basically take place during the events of the first game. Cool. And that some of the dialogue is taken exactly from the game. It speaks volumes over how, let's say, cinematic the game was. But also some episodes, he said, will deviate greatly from the story. So I don't know whether to be hyped or worried 
about that. One thing I was always a little bit concerned about is that if they were going to be too faithful to the game, then there's no point in watching the TV series because it's just a retelling in a different medium. Yeah, and he was basically saying that a lot of things will change. He was talking about the violence, about how it's going to be a little bit less violent because it's an action game. But it's a series about people and like a drama, like the drama that these people are going through. In that aspect, it'll change. And then he was mentioning you spend the first, I don't know how many hours of the game learning different mechanics, like how to shoot, how to swim, how to climb a ladder. That obviously you don't need to do that in a series because you as the viewer, you're purely passive. And so you don't need to learn how to shoot. Although that would be cool. So yeah, we know that it's going to deviate a bit from the story. And then there's last week we mentioned Lego having a partnership with Nintendo and this partnership being very, very successful. This week, I don't know if you saw it, Lego announced yet another partnership with NASA. I saw, but I haven't actually read the article or gone deeper into it. Well, no, I actually don't know whether it's a new partnership or it's just a continuation of the existing one. But Lego had issued a few sets that reproduce NASA spacecraft. So they had the Saturn V rocket which I have and it's amazing then they released the lunar module and not too long ago they had a model of the um, international space station which is actually ginormous oh and it's beautiful yeah it's cool but I would need like a bigger house for that Anyway, this week they announced that they're going to release the space shuttle and apparently they've released it in the past a few times, but this is the most detailed version yet. We'll link the pictures in the notes and it looks amazing. Like it's the shuttle and it's got the Hubble Space Telescope inside and you can kind of like deploy it. I think it's like $200. It releases April 1st, 2,354 pieces. Wow. Including three newly designed ones. Okay, it's a bit nerdy, but it's it looks amazing. I can't wait to go to the Lego store and see it, to be honest. One epic thing of the... Was it the Apollo rocket, the one that you've got? Yeah, the Saturn V. The Saturn V, which went to the moon. And the moon landings were obviously in 1969. And the number of pieces in that set is 1,969. And I do not believe in coincidences. No, no, no. It was on purpose. Assembling it was so much fun. And it really brought me back to my childhood. And that's why I picked the playground beer. (laughs) Oh, and talking about partnerships, we are not partnered with Hades, made by Supergiant Games. However, we did nominate it as Game of the Year 2020. And both Marco and I were in agreement. And other lesser entities, such as South by Southwest Games, which is a huge entity, but not as big as us, (laughs) have given it Game of the Year as well. And this in itself is not surprising and, you know, but well done, Supergiant Games. But with this news comes further news of the release of Hades as a physical copy for the Switch. And I think it's the first physical copy of the game that you can buy because you can't buy a physical copy for the PC or PlayStation, maybe. I'm not entirely sure big news and congratulations to them yeah super cool to see that an independent studio can beat giant software houses like naughty dog and win game of the year the physical copy basically includes the game of course as well as like a booklet with uh, all the character art which is pretty cool and the original soundtrack so that you can like it's a link that you can download or a code that you can download the original soundtrack 
I don't know what you think about it, but it's like kind of not enough for me to push me to get it because essentially the thing that matters is the game. I already have that, but I'm kind of tempted. I'm tempted too. I do like the fact that they've included the art. I hope they talk a bit more about the game because there was an article recently talking about the development. And before it was the story of Zagreus, the son of Hades. It was the story of um, Theseus in the labyrinth of Crete. Yeah. And it was just really cool to see how they thought that wouldn't work and it wouldn't have the replay value and they couldn't add enough variety and how they transformed the game using essentially the basic mechanics that they had already planned out. And I think it was a, a decision well made because the game is now honestly a work of art. I hope they have things about the development of the game as well, because it's just really interesting to see the process. Yeah, we need to find that article and, and link it because it was pretty interesting. Like you said, originally the main character was supposed to be Theseus and his, I don't know, escape from, or his attempt to escape from hell or from Hades. No, from the labyrinth. Right, yeah, yeah, sorry, from the labyrinth. Like, they couldn't quite figure out the mechanic of, like, why he keeps going back. And so, like, halfway through development, they're like, okay, let's see what good ideas we have from this game and then where we can improve. And they just completely rewrote the main character for him to be Zagreus. And fun fact, they ended up keeping Theseus but as a bad guy that's like really really annoying yeah so pompous yeah exactly moving on it seems like the last year the iPhones were delayed usually they're released in September and this time round they were released in October there's a huge shortage of playstations the um, Nvidia graphics cards launched reviewed great and nobody can still buy one. But it seems like all these stories are linked together. Indeed. And we claim to be a tech podcast, and yet we haven't really been talking about tech recently. We also claim to be an internet institution, but here we are. (laughs) On our very first episode, we spoke about Apple's new M1 chip, which is designed in-house, but it's not built in-house yet. There is a recent shortage globally of semiconductors. This is due to a multitude of reasons, and I think it's just kind of like the perfect storm. So many of the factories were shut down because of the pandemic, so there was a shortage. Then, for example, in America, Samsung have a semiconductor factory in Austin, Texas, which recently had the massive snowfall, and the company had to shut down, like the factory had to shut down. And I don't think it's even open again yet. On top of that, there's been a surge in demand for anything to do with electronics. For example, the automotive industry in particular has been hit heavily because every single new car now has a semiconductor chip in it. And when they close the factories because of the COVID pandemic and the fact that there's been a, a drop in sales, they didn't put any orders in. And so they were pushed at the back of a queue. And now all these companies are trying to buy stuff and there's simply not enough capacity to meet demand. Yeah. And it's crazy because like I've got a friend who's trying to buy the Switch and he can't because there's just none. So they mean, you know, they can't meet demand. The PS5 is literally unfindable. Even companies which produce their own chips, such as Samsung, they're having to delay phones as well because they simply don't have enough. Apple is delaying it and Apple's single biggest buyer of semiconductors in the world. And this goes back to something which we've mentioned a few times in this podcast as a whole. Society has become very tech dependent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've mentioned in the past that now everything seems to be running on batteries, but also with the battery comes a chip, comes silicon. So it wasn't a bang event. You know, it wasn't like yesterday we had loads and today we don't have enough semiconductors. 
Yeah. But I thought it was interesting because it shows how dependent we are on two or three companies which produce all the semiconductors, you know, Intel, TMTC, uh, Samsung, and a couple of Chinese ones. And the Chinese ones aren't even allowed to trade with America at the moment because of Trump's ban. So that compounds things even more. And it, it's not like something you can just build overnight. You know, it takes a couple of years to build up these factories, quality control, design, and get the production chain going. Yeah, exactly. But is it do just because of factories shutting down because like last year due to the pandemic or is there something else i think it's just a perfect storm in the sense that it was a little bit of that a little bit of this and then a drop in demand and then now that things are picking up again there's just simply not enough to meet the demand because obviously everyone scaled down and it takes time to scale back up another factor is uh, bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general and this is particularly true with the graphic cards NVIDIA are struggling to get enough silicon to make the graphic cards, but everyone which is being bought is being used for like mining Bitcoin. Oh, okay. These companies are making orders of several thousand graphic cards, you know, just because it's so profitable to mine for Bitcoin. And each time they release a better graphics card, which is more energy efficient, it just makes it even more profitable because the cost of energy drops a little bit each time. And we know Bitcoin is incredibly thirsty for resources. And actually, to that point, there's a really interesting article on The Verge about the real cost of graphics cards nowadays, which is not retail, but it's actually what do you need to spend to buy an NVIDIA. The street price. Yeah, like an NVIDIA, whatever, RTX 3080 today or a PlayStation 5 today. And they have like a neat little chart of uh, what the street price is as of March 2021. Just to give you an example, a PS5, the one with the disc, which retails at 499 US dollars, the street price in March is 833, so an increase of 1.66% more. And it's just crazy. And it's just because there's shortages, just because like you can't find it and if you remember we had jay on the show a couple weeks ago and he was mentioning that he's kind of interested in a playstation 5 but he just can't find one yeah and even if you're looking for one you have to then be willing to spend double the price like why would you yeah exactly when all you need to do is basically just wait it out and see but do you seriously know people that are still trying to buy a switch and they can't yes but not because it's been just released but we were talking about smash brothers i think last week and i started playing with a colleague and they were like this brings me back and i tried to resist buying a switch but now i want one and so when you decide that i mean you look and you realize there's none available okay the silicon shortage whatever but it blows my mind that like today, four years after it launched, you can't find a Switch. Also, it's funny that you mentioned it because a colleague of mine mentioned that he had listened to our previous episode and he was like, hmm, now I kind of want to buy a Switch. <laughs> Go for it, Alex. <laughs> I don't think the situation is going to fix anytime soon. I think that's why the tech news has been relatively thin on the ground. You are either releasing products with old chips which are surplus, all the new chips are currently being delayed, or there's simply not enough for mass market production. Yeah, well, that's definitely interesting. Let's see how it plays out. I mean, if it's a PlayStation or a Switch or an Xbox or whatever, it's fine because those things last a few years. Like a graphics card, the latest NVIDIA ones have been already launched quite a few months back. And I guess new ones are on the way already. 
or if we talk about smartphones, that they're on a yearly cycle. If you fail to launch your smartphone now, then the next one is what, like nine months, eight months in front of you? I don't think this is related, but rumor has it that Samsung is going to skip the Note this year. And I think it was reaching the point where there was little to differentiate between the Galaxy S series and the Note series. Yeah. Because they brought over the pen functionality to the Galaxy series, this year there's nothing really to differentiate the Note and they may be skipping it. And as I said, I think it's unrelated, but I guess it buys them time to then sort of delay the release of the next cycle because they don't have to meet the the six monthly cycle with the note and we've been over this four or five years ago it made sense to change your phone every year because every new phone was much better now i don't know like a one-year-old phone is just fine i completely agree and on top of that phones are reaching that saturation point where the changes or the improvements are incremental and you can get a mid-range phone for little money and it's very capable yeah that's right you don't really need the highest end packs or the newest. Nevertheless, I'm still going to try to buy all the newest stuff anyway. Let's turn the page. Des, have you been watching anything interesting? This has set the internet alight. And you must have heard about it. I'm going to cut to the chase. Yes, I've watched the Snyder Cut. Oh, so Justice League came out a few years back, directed by Zack Snyder, right? It's a very messy story. So it okay. was initially directed by Zack Snyder. And rumor has it, the big wigs at Warner were not happy with the direction it was taking. Oh. Marvel had released the Avengers, which is very colorful, which is quite funny, lots of witty remarks. And Warner wanted to compete with Marvel. So they were kind of like, we want that. Yeah. And uh, Zack Snyder was making a bit more of an epic, darker tone with a few moments of comedy. And rumor has it, they were going at loggerheads, like they were grinding. They weren't really getting along. Okay. Zack Snyder was unfortunately hit by a personal tragedy. One of his daughters committed suicide. Oh. So he decided, and they both mutually agreed, to step down from the project, understandably. Yeah. And they brought in Joss Whedon, who had directed The Avengers, and who has uh, quite a rich backlog of movies and successful movies at that. He's now fallen from grace. He's been accused of creating toxic behaviors and not being the prime example of how a human should behave. (laughs) And apparently that sort of vibe was brought into the set as well. So like a moment he came on, like the... The atmosphere changed, like people weren't happy to work with him. And he completely changed the movie, reshot pretty much everything, condensed it to two hours. This is the movie that was released in the cinemas. It did okay in the box office, but it was panned by both critics and the public. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Let's just be honest. But here comes HBO and Zack Snyder, who is given the opportunity to cut the movie or to re-edit the movie as per his original vision. And uh, it's been released. Yes, all four hours of it. <laughs> Did you really sit for four hours? What is good is that it's divided into chapters. And I think there's like seven or eight chapters. Okay. I would strongly recommend stopping at the chapters because there are natural breaks. Okay. I didn't watch it in one full sitting because it's simply too long. I don't have four hours uninterrupted in any single given working day. But I have watched it all and it's a good movie. It's okay. Almost your typical superhero movie, but at least it makes sense. Is it better than the pile of garbage that the original was? Infinitely better in the sense that you actually have proper characters. Now, I have a complaint against the DC universe in the sense that I think Marvel did things properly. Every character of the Avengers had its own movie before they made the Avengers. And so a lot of the backstory and origins were explained. Yeah, that's the feeling that I got while watching the original Justice League. 
it was kind of like DC's effort to make the Avengers without the years of planning that Marvel had done. The Avengers movies, they come from a long way back. They come from like Iron Man 1, the Hulk, uh, Thor movies, or the first Avenger, Captain America. They all have backstories. They all have character development throughout their own movies. And then they all kind of get together. Like there's a buildup to the Avengers movies. Well, the Justice League, it started off with Man of Steel. And then it went on to Batman versus Superman, of which the concept itself was cool. I really liked it. The approach it had was, okay, we have this infinitely powerful alien that's fighting to save us, but he also kind of destroyed an entire city. So what the hell's wrong with that? And then it was just like absolute garbage from there. And then they were like, okay, like, but we, we need to speed this up and we need to put a, like a, a movie that puts all the people together. And I don't know. It felt, it felt rushed. I don't love the Marvel movies, but at the same time, there's a logic to them. There's like a story. I had the same sensation. And a lot of the characters of the Justice League, such as Cyborg and Aquaman, well, Cyborg still doesn't have a standalone movie or a backstory or an origin. And Aquaman had it after the... The Justice League movie. Exactly. The Snyder Cut actually gives them much more of a backstory, which is why it's four hours long, because it introduces the characters. Okay, that makes sense because yeah like you said but even the flash like everybody knows who he is because he's a popular let's say superhero but he just shows up in the movie like the original one flash doesn't get as much of a backstory as say cyborg or aquaman but he gets enough and as you said i think the public knowledge of the flash is already more so it, they get away with it yeah especially because there's also the tv series of the flash and even though it's a different actor people are still familiar with the powers that the flash has yeah i don't want to give it a, a review or a score if you are interested in the dc universe and you have an interest in this definitely watch the snyder cut because it writes the wrongs of the joss whedon version of the justice league however it's not a masterpiece it's not a work of art but it is nice that the fans were able to get this version released which would have otherwise been lost forever last question is there still the digitally removed mustache of superman no spoiler alert spoiler alert <laughs> that was one sadly one of the things that made the original movie so infamous was the fact that they came back for reshoots probably because they changed director and henry cavill had already moved on to shoot i believe the latest mission impossible film where he had a mustache and because he was already shooting that film while doing the reshoots of uh, justice league he couldn't shave like contractually he couldn't shave his mustache so they just edited it out in a way that's very bad like you can tell yeah, for a multi-million dollar movie, it was pretty bad. Yeah, like you can tell that there was something off with his face. You were hyped about Drive to Survive, if I'm not wrong, and you finally got around to watching it. I watched four episodes of the third season that just came out on Netflix. In total, there's 10, and it's just great. I really like Formula One, you know that, but it's so well made. Like, I, And I actually know quite a few people that don't necessarily love formula one and they watch it and they love it there's a lot of drama it shows you like what happens behind the scenes and like you know all the driver negotiations there's one episode that i found a little bit funny of this one driver who basically spends the entire episode saying like hey no i'm a good driver i'm a good driver if i'm driving this one of the fastest cars it means something it means that they picked me to drive this car and blah blah blah, blah. and then that team is like yeah 
A few years ago, we had two really strong drivers and they kept fighting against each other. To replace one of them, we picked one who would just kind of like stay in his place and let the other guy win. (laughs) It's very well put together. I think if you don't like Formula One, that's a great way to get into it because it tells you what's going on beyond the races. Races arguably aren't the most exciting. It's knowing what happens behind that also makes it great for me. The third season of Drive to Survive covers the 2020 Formula One season. And every episode has, let's say, like a different theme. Like the first episode was when they all show up in March of last year in Melbourne for the first race. And two team members of one team are positive with COVID. And so the whole thing shuts down and everybody is kind of like looking to get out and what that meant for every team and you know like the smaller teams that are very dependent on their sponsors and you know if you're not racing your sponsors aren't paying you and so what was going to happen to them and so on other episodes are like the one about ferrari and they had like a disastrous season you get to see all the tension behind the scenes and all the discomfort that everyone is in and these are people that like they go in front of the press every sunday and they're like yeah we're working on it you know we're trying but now you see behind the scenes and it's like wow what a meltdown i don't know it's just really it's really interesting if you don't know about formula one it's a great way to get into it and if you know about formula one it's a great way to have more insight into what's going on cool I'm not going to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care. I'm going to make the image for this episode and it's going to be all Formula One cars. I'll put Superman's fake mustache and Formula One cars. Moving on, going back to our intro, seeing as we're so unpopular with the ladies now, I believe you've been getting some help. (laughs) Wow, Des, what a great segue. But you're right. In an effort to increase her popularity among the female demographic, I've watched the HBO series Hello Ladies. Have I watched it? No, because I don't need such help. (laughs) Wow. I guess confidence is the first step. So go you, Des. No, it's like this really silly series produced by Stephen Merchant. I'm pretty sure you know who he is. Yeah, freakishly tall English dude. Yeah, freakishly tall, very awkward, very weird English comedian. And this is basically a series taken that he wrote based on his uh, stand-up comedy the premise is very simple like he is this englishman living in la in like a nice house i think he's got like a web development company made up of himself and one other guy but anyway so he's comfortable but his dream was always to go to la and get together with like a beautiful girl and then go back to england and show her off to all his friends from like school who made fun of him when he was small and It's pretty funny. Like, he's just such an annoying person. He sublets the outhouse to, like, an aspiring actress. And she's always, like, hanging out with other actresses. And he's always trying to, like, hang out with them. And he plays this very, very desperate character that's desperate to meet hot girls. Like, in the end, it's just, like, one season. So it's pretty quick to watch. And it's okay. I was expecting, let's say, a little bit better from Stephen Merchant. But it's just, like, so cringy. Like, it's his humor. Like, it follows exactly his humor. Like, he's this massive loser who's, like, desperately trying to go after girls. And, you know, being in L.A., everyone's, like, super fake. Everyone's super hot as well. If you've got time to watch, like, I think it's, like, nine or ten episodes. It's pretty funny. How long uh, are the episodes? Roughly. (laughs) Roughly. Between... 
10 minutes and six hours each. Wow. No, I have no idea. I think it's like 45 minutes or something like that. Okay, so you need to make an effort to sit down and watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's one season, so you can kind of binge it over a weekend and and it's fine. I think I've watched it over the course of a, a week in the evenings, one or two episodes per night, and that was and that was it. The funny thing is just how annoying this guy is because he will prioritize women over literally anything else. Like he's got a couple of friends and they all go through stuff. He's always kind of like dropping them to go chase after like some random girl. Okay, cool. I might give it a go if I've got nothing else to watch, but the list of things that we're recommending to each other keeps getting longer. Yeah, and I watch absolutely nothing of it. Okay, so to conclude, we've uh, spoken a lot about recent events, including uh, updates to the Last of Us TV series, Lego's new collaboration with NASA, the physical copy of Hades being launched, and their recent Game of the Year awards from several institutions, including our own, the global tech semiconductor shortage, which is affecting all tech releases and products, including the automotive industry, and then the Snyder Cut has finally dropped, Marco is hyped about Drive to Survive again, and is picking up terrible dating tips from Hello Ladies from Stephen Merchant. Not that I need to, but okay. I'm going to edit that bit out. (laughs) So, Marco, how was your beer? Actually, it's not even a beer. It's like, how was your malt juice? (laughs) You know what? Okay, so first of all, I feel great because we record just before having dinner and I'm usually like on a very empty stomach and by the end of the episode, I'm usually pretty drunk. This time, I feel amazing. Like, I feel so good, I'm going to have a normal beer now. But this is an IPA. It tastes super average, as in... But if you hadn't told me this was alcohol-free, I wouldn't have noticed. Okay, that's pretty high praise for a non-alcoholic beer. Yeah, also, I think this is the first non-alcoholic beer I've ever drunk. So I don't really know if they taste different. I've had a few, like, you know, when you have to drive. Then have a juice or something. Like, what do you need to... I don't know, but sometimes you just want to fit in with everyone else. So it's actually fine as a beer, but it's surprising that it tastes like a beer despite being uh, alcohol free and again i have like no experience with alcohol free beer so i'm pretty surprised by this but it's pretty good so you know it's pretty fresh it tastes like an any regular ipa so let's just give it a two no a three out of six what about you this is the first beer we've had from france but i think in character it's very similar to belgian beers it's quite a flavorful blonde beer i have to admit it's pretty good but it's like a blonde beer so if you like blonde beers it's a good one it's quite strong 7.2 percent wow and it's got quite a few ingredients in it so it's got three flemish hop varieties two malt varieties pale and caramel wheat and rice rice and then coriander and bitter orange peels so it comes out with quite a fruity flavor it's basically my trash can it's an ancient recipe it's like from the 1500s okay or even earlier i guess in those days they made beer with trash and that's your second trash beer in two weeks one was made with surplus trash this is literally made with trash (laughs) i'm gonna give it a very stable Not solid, stable. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't think our fans are ready for this. Our fans will not take this kindly. Okay, fine. I'll give it a solid four out of a full six pack. All right. Very good. (laughs) And I think that brings us to a close, Yes, that's right. Des, I'll speak to you next week. And thank you so much for listening. Find us on Instagram at Desimarco, Twitter at Desimarco. You're not going to send us an email, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah, forget the email. But uh, we're also on YouTube, and Marco likes to say the following line. Well, you, YouTube, uh, you just look for Des and Marco, and like and subscribe. Whee! Yes! <laughs>
Thank you so much for listening again. I'll speak to you next week. See you next time, guys. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert!